Hello, and welcome to the first Fave This of 2018. I'm Gita Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Patricia Hernandez. New year, new podcast. Yeah. Here we are. Here we are again. (laughs) The boys are back in town. (laughs) Oh, man. Did you make any uh, gaming-related New Year's resolutions? You know? As dorky as it is. I kind of did. I often game in, like, very long spurts and then don't game for a long time which is like not good for my job where mm-hmm. i'm supposed to be talking about issues in games every day uh so steven our boss does this thing where he plays games for like one hour night every night just like he has an hour and that's when he games and i've been trying to just carve out just just one hour to make sure i try something that i wanted to try at work but didn't get a chance to do mm-hmm. so i feel like i can manage that i think my resolution is to go back and play a bunch of games that i couldn't in 2017 because there were just so many releases and especially i feel like there wasn't really downtime last year but right now there is like you know we have like monster hunter coming up in a couple weeks but yeah but aside from that yeah monster hunter that's gonna be i mean the nintendo's having a very good year already Mm -hmm. but monster hunter coming out when there's really just nothing or nothing new happening is gonna be pretty good for them also yeah i had no interest in monster hunter but i might play it now you know yeah, I feel like they're, they've been on the precipice of, like, really exploding for, like, a few years now, but be, there was something about it being on the 3DS and being kind of, like, small and, like, on shitty graphics and just... Yeah. I mean, not, I, that sounds like an egg, but I actually really loved Monster Hunter on the 3DS, but I, there's something about playing with a controller on, like, a bigger screen, and especially because it's, like, about fighting big-ass monsters yeah. that, like... I mean, I did. I played when I went back and used my 3DS for a while while I was playing Style Savvy, and I have to say, like, it is a slow, slow console with a lot of really weird design quirks that Mm -hmm. make it really annoying to use. Yeah, I've been going back recently, and I noticed that too. I because okay, so when I first got the Switch, and I think I said it in this podcast where I was like, "This is too big. I don't want to move it around or whatever." But now I've gotten so used. To playing on it that when I go back to the 3DS I'm just like eh. <laughs> it's like tiny. I would, yeah, obviously I would love it if the Switch could somehow be that small but yeah. the Nintendo just the UI I don't I don't, I don't really like it what on the 3DS really in always was blowing my mind because I knew I knew that Style Savvy was like about 30 hours so as as I was playing these like marathon sessions I'd always want to check how long I've been playing in order to do that on the 3DS you have to exit the game and go to a different program because you can't have them both open at the same time Mm -hmm. and that just made me so angry every time I had to do that that I had to close the program and open a new one I couldn't just like tab over and see how long I've been playing this game Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean you just can't have two things open at once I don't think yeah just never yeah which is like now like a basic function in any console pretty much basically is being able you might not be able to have two games open at once but you can at least go and look at other utilities while you have a game launched yeah but i mean at the same time like i guess i just don't even see the 3ds going anywhere for a long time like i know people are saying that it's on its last legs but i I feel like nintendo is just gonna be like hey here's the here's the 4ds i don't know like yeah (laughs) (laughs) here's the new i don't know 
was the 4DS. New version of the of the 3DS, the 20th version, because I don't know what yeah. version we're on now. It's just a, di- a giant DS now. Like, that's yeah. the thing about the 3DS, is that there's no more 3. It's just a DS. Just a DS again. Man, the DS is a good console, though, and they still make good games for the 2 and 3DS. So I don't mind. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't go anywhere. We're starting to see some of some of that now that the world ends with you is going to come out for the Switch, and then a lot of people are going to be able to see about you yeah. know these. That was a 2DS game, not a 3DS game. Yeah, right? it was a yeah. regular flavor DS game. I yeah. bought it in 2007, right before I went to college. Uh, and a man in the suit the, the suit store that my brother was at mm-hmm. saw me playing on a 2D, my my DS. I just I just bought it. Just bought this game from like summer job money. And uh, he saw me playing this game and he was like, oh, what's that? And I said, the world ends with you. And he was like, oh, uh, who makes that game? And I said, Square Enix. And he said, no, they don't. <laughs> what? I was like, how would you know? You just asked me what this game was. What? Maybe he thought it was something else. I don't know. I don't know, but... Strange. Who did he say he was made by? He, didn't he just didn't. Say, he just said no. They didn't. He just said Square doesn't make games anymore. And I'm like, they do, because on the back of this box it says Square Enix. <laughs> huh. Weird. Whatever. Man at the suit store in the mini mall in my hometown. <laughs> Whatever, man. Anyway, so this week I want to talk to you about, so right now in the No Man's Sky community, everybody's waiting for 1.5, the big new update that's coming. Oh, I didn't even know that was a that was going to be a thing. Yeah, so there was an update to the last ARG that um, it didn't have any, really any new puzzles. It had a couple of new puzzles, but the one big thing it was saying was, you know, this is the path to 1.5, hmm. which um, which I guess means 1.4 was not a public patch, that just an interior, in like a patch just for them. Um, so that means that everyone is trying to solve these new puzzles and figure out how to unlock the next stage of the ARG. And they are also all kind of twiddling their thumbs and trying to think of what is going to happen in the new patch. What Really? They're in downtime right now. Yeah, they're chilling. They're just straight chilling. You know, I saw in the Galactic Hub, they were having a poll about, they're finally having their poll to pick the new home in Capital Planet, and they suspended it because they're like, we got to wait till 1.5 to see if anything changes. Um, so everyone's just sort of sitting around and just talking about stuff. And as you know, when fans just kind of sit around and wait, they get to having some, some conversations. That's when shit happens. Some shit happens. So what's an interesting conversation I'm seeing happening is that there's two camps right now, at least in the subreddit for No Man's Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, you know, vicious. The No Man's Sky community is really kind, actually. Now now it's like a very Except nice Except for place. when they kill an entire civilization okay, and that? like backsub <laughs> each other. You're just so happy they got dramatic <laughs> in space. Yeah, no. Um, except for when they're politicking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really kind. Um, so there's one camp that is like, man, I really hope we get more multiplayer stuff. In this new patch. By multiplayer, you mean literally like I can walk around your yeah. planet with like someone else. or multiplayer, like normal ass multiplayer stuff. Like you can make a party and call up somebody and see them in the game and they'll have a sprite. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's one thing. Or, you know, like including like PvP stuff, like being able to do dogfights or stuff like that. And there is uh, another camp that is now very surprisingly very vocal. And I think the majority of the people in the subreddit feel this way, which is you came to No Man's Sky for PvP, you are in the wrong game. Mm. What's so interesting to me about that is that if you ask these players at when they introduced like this very basic multiplayer thing where you could see a pl- other player as a orb of light on the planet with the last patch, um, players were losing their freaking minds. You know, they were mm-hmm. so, so, so happy. But now, after having that functionality for, you know, like a, some, some, a few months, players are like, I don't want more multiplayer mm-hmm. anymore. Like, I don't really need it. Yeah, you know, just... Thinking through kind of what Hello Games' design philosophy has been with No Man's Sky so far, it seems like they're very just kind of intent on giving this sense of like loneliness and like it almost seemed like intent. Maybe I'm I'm giving them too much credit. I don't know because there was also this sense that like they shipped the game too fast and it wasn't what mm-hmm. they wanted it to be. It wasn't what people were expecting. But it also seemed like that part of it was kind of intentional. Yeah, but maybe for one point five, like they just add this and like super multiplayer thing. No, I hope they don't. But I also, you know, the game wasn't perfect at launch, but I had fun playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like the loneliness was sort of the point that mm-hmm. it's about being like a lone explorer in a vast and beautiful universe that you'll never see all of. Um, it's cool now that if someone's on the same planet as me, I can see up to seven of those people. But it's not something I need. Yeah, and I mean. I- Having that ability right now is also, like, it's not easy to see someone else, right? You can't just be like, oh, I want to find someone. Like, the people who are doing this have to go through a bunch of hoops, right, to to find each other. Even now that they've made it slightly easier with the portals. You have to be on the same planet in the same general vicinity, and you can only see up to seven players. Mm -hmm. And you can only see them as little orbs of light. Mm-hmm. And if you have both have your mics on, then they can both hear you, mm-hmm. you know, and talk to each other. But that only that's a big if. And then there's also just like so many different planets. If you're not in like the Galactic Hub or any of the sort of civilized space, there is really no telling when you might see another player. Yeah, because planets might never. are huge. Yeah, right? you can walk for days. Even if on... you're on the same planet, you might not see another player. Like mm-hmm. even if you were, had happened to be on the same place at the same time, if you're on the opposite sides of the planet, you still might not be able to see them. You know, it's interesting. I, I feel like this happens sometimes with games that are imperfect in in some ways that the player base kind of takes that as like a defining feature of the thing they don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to improve it like like remember i can't the, think of an example right now no, remember but, the loot the loot cave in destiny the first oh one? yeah yeah people hated it but they also loved it you know they loved the this weird ritual of going to the loot cave and shooting all the monsters coming out of the cave mm-hmm and it was like dumb and like bad. It was a bad design. Right. Thing. It was emblematic of the fact that there's something fundamentally wrong with the yeah. game. Yeah. But it was something that they were really affectionate about. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't play the first Destiny, but I remember all my friends who did play Destiny just making jokes upon jokes about the loot cave. But like they would always go to the loot cave. Right. And when they took it away, like even though it was like a better design choice, you mm-hmm. know, it, it they were nostalgic for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kirk wrote an article about the loot cave that I remember laughing about because <laughs> it was just so ridiculous. But mm. yeah. yeah, man, I mean, you you latch on to weird shit when you play games, especially because I think 
it makes sense that that happened with the Luke Cave because I feel like so much of games is ritual, right? And like yeah. ritual gives you comfort when you do something over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Even if there's an easier way of of doing it. Like I noticed this uh when I walk home from the train, I always take a very specific route. And my girlfriend one day, she was walking with me and she's like, why do you walk this way? It's like slightly longer. And, and she was like, why don't we just go the shorter way? And it was like, no, I want to walk through the, this is the thing that I do. This is where I walk. And it was just like this weird moment of, this is how you know that you're getting old when you yep. like have to do the thing and yep. like the with the weird obtuse way and you don't want to change, yep. you don't want to change it up to be more efficient. Yeah. You know, my dad is this guy that does not trust Swiffer mops and I understand why they don't, <laughs> they don't thoroughly mop, but he just won't use them ever for anything he will he has an old rag mop like mm-hmm. not even the new ones with the synthetic fibers that are like less get less gross over the years mm-hmm. but he will only mop with one of those mops and like yeah that is that is definitely like one of those things that's um sometimes you just have to have the thing you know <laughs> he could find a superior mopping method i believe that he could but he loves his old mop that smells bad and is dirty <laughs> oh god gross yeah. Oh man. But yeah, I the No Man's Sky community always just amazes me. And now, I mean, I'm sure you anticipate this, but I hope the fact that uh nothing is happening means we'll get more wars and such. Yeah, I mean it seems to have calmed down over in the Federation. I know that pretty much everybody that was involved in Vestroga, the that was the uh instigating civilization that ended up losing that war. Um, they've all been kind of removed from the subreddit, so a lot of the bad actors are gone. Um, but when people get bored, I mean, the thing is, though, the players themselves know that, like, having these political conflicts is fun, mm-hmm. you know, is entertaining to do to, like, push people's buttons and, like, have, they like the role-playing aspect of it. They would much rather, you know, do that kind of thing than fight over what new, you know, features they want, the new update. They they want to have their sort of little political playground, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Yeah, and hopefully uh, whatever future updates kind of facilitate that because at this point I feel like the people who are still playing feel such ownership over how they play that like trying to put in more story or trying to like guide people more yeah. isn't going to work. Yeah, I mean they really, they liked the new story content and mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a much better start to the game than what we had at launch, uh, the new story content. And... um but I, I think they also liked it because it did throw them a sort of a couple of narrative, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, because it acknowledged them. It acknowledged them. them as a part of it. Yeah, so that's know? a little different. I feel like it's it's kind of acknowledging uh, the fact that they are the game. Like Sean Murray uh, tweeted out your article yeah. being like, I, I think you said I this, this game. game. And then he said this community. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's. I mean, he's right. I mean, the reason why I think people don't really want more multiplayer features or PvP or anything is because they've kind of, the community has kind of developed their own way of doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like, even without any combat capabilities at all, a full-scale war was carried out in No Man's Sky. Man, I feel like, now I'm pitching you an article, but okay. I feel like we should talk, see if Sean Murray would talk to us, because... I think there's something interesting in the fact that they've spent however much the last year or whatever, like trying to perfect this literal universe, this entire universe. And even if it means like deleting shit from it that, that players were invested in. So yeah. I'm curious what he, what, 
he thinks about like what makes for a perfect simulation to get a chance to talk to sean murray about the no man's sky community and not about any of the things that people want to ask him about Mm -hmm. i want to ask him what it's like to like put this thing out in the world and watch people make something out of it that he wasn't did not know they were going to do Mm -hmm. um because he seems so proud of the community like a couple of days ago he retweeted um screenshots from uh, a pretty well-known no man's sky like screenshot sharing person that were also using this mod called the complete overhaul mod that luke wrote about Mm -hmm. um and it's a mod that like it digs through the game's codes and adds new like visualization like textures and things that were buried in the code but not implemented yet Hmm. um so it's not like he he's he's from what i can see from these like very small posts he seems very invested in players using this game what as a if, canvas. What if he was involved in the war? What if he's like oh one, one of the agents? What if he has a Smurf account? What's <laughs> what's Sean Murray's No Man's Sky Smurf account? I mean, if if you're saying that he follows the community that closely, like he must be reading the Galactic Hub every day. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So. I don't know. I'll. Please, yeah. What Sean if he Murray, was one of, the, out there, <laughs> one of the one of the people who know. got banned or something? That would be summer. hilarious. Because one of the one of the people, she was like pretty deeply involved with the Federation, but after the war started, um, she was from Vestroga. She just straight up disappeared. I like sent mm-hmm. her a message. She was a big instigator getting the war to happen. So like, what if that? What happened to her? What happened to you? Like, I don't know. Watch uh, it be like a nine-year-old girl or something that like. Should be <laughs> yeah, that nine-year-old that got the Washington Post uh, app from her dad's phone. God, there's a really cute tweet going around today. Someone saying, apparently, my nine-year-old two years ago downloaded the Washington Post app and has been reading it every day. It did not tell me. I just found out, and now she says that she wants to be a journalist for the Washington Post, which I thought was just the cutest Aww. thing in the world. Um. Mm. What a precocious child, but don't become a journalist. <laughs> it's just going to get really hard for you. <laughs> I mean, do, definitely do. It's rewarding and I love this job. Um, but journalism's hard. All right, quick uh, reader mail question yeah. that we're going to talk about a little bit from Mitchell Talavera on Twitter. He asks, do you think open world games have hit peak expansiveness, meaning might games with smaller, most, more focused set of experiences in a limited but well-designed sandbox world have a chance at being developed? Yeah, I mean, I am always like a person that wants to see one or two features perfectly implemented rather than uh just everything thrown in mm-hmm. so you know uh i mean i think that's but that's not necessarily true actually i'm thinking about the games i love the most like dwarf fortress and the sims and those just throw everything in and, and aren't necessarily they're they're kind of shallow but they do so much behind the scenes that mm-hmm. they become interesting because they kind of collapse it in on themselves um yeah, I mean, right now, being open world is vogue, right? Like, everyone yeah. wants to do it, and it doesn't always make sense for a game. It's just kind of like a thing that I feel like developers feel like they have to do to be hip or whatever, yeah. to sell copies. So, 
I do think that we're going to see some pairing back because it can't possibly be cheap to like create these huge yeah. worlds, right? Like it takes so much time and effort and it doesn't always make sense. And like even worse, it kind of feels like a lot of games just play so, so similarly to one another. Like yeah. if you've played one, you can kind of grok what the other ones are about because the design of what you do in this open world is often so similar, right? Like you... Yeah. You know, it's the, pick a game in which you design, can you know. climb a tower yes. and then do a th like that. That'll yeah. be in like almost all. You climb of them, a tower, you know? and then you unlock a map, and then you see some objectives, and then you do a mission. Or you have like to collect fifty of the item to get the. Thing. Patricia, I need sixteen of this item for this fetch quest. Can you please go get them for me? So I think that's the worst part of it too. That like okay, you're creating these huge worlds, but, like, it doesn't really feel like they're taking advantage of it. It's just, like, we got to put content on it with capital yeah. C. I mean, this you is what do everyone stuff. It doesn't says. matter what the stuff is. It's just being able to say 80 hours of yeah. playtime. This is what, why everyone says that Breath of the Wild is, like, the version of an open-world game that they like because it, it doesn't really do that thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it has towers, fine, and it has, like, a mini-map with quests on it, sure, but most of and what there you are do, collectibles, right? The yeah, Korok seeds. The Korok seeds. Although I wrote a, a little bit about this that, like, even though the missions kind of are similar, like, you'll have one in which you have to throw a rock in a hole, right? And, like, that'll reappear multiple times. But there's something about how they do it that always feels playful. Like, I never get bored, even if I'm doing the same yeah. thing every so often. Because yeah. It's just I mean, whenever I get a fetch quest in Zelda, it's because, like, you know, I got to know some characters and they didn't you know, say, do you accept this quest? And they didn't make it very explicit, but they were like, man, I wish I had this item. Mm -hmm. And you thought, oh, maybe if I run across that while I'm out, you know, riding this horse, I'll mm -hmm. just grab it for them and give it back to them. Mm -hmm. um, and But it wasn't like one of those things. Like I kind of fell off Horizon Zero Dawn because of how explicit the, the questing was. It's interesting how much the game not marking it down for you makes a difference. Yeah. Um... Because I've noticed this, too, in a lot of my favorite RPGs. I always appreciate when, okay, so you have all these quests that it does mark, but then it always feels like an extra detail when someone's like, I want this thing, and then it's not noted in your... So then you have to, like, actually care to do the thing. Yeah. And, like, that's what makes a difference. If you can care about the thing, then I feel like that's an innate success. Yeah. And obviously Zelda doesn't mark down those quests, right? So you have to care. Yeah. Um. But yeah, also just, it helps take away the feeling that you're playing a checklist, yeah. right? Yeah, you are just running into sort of organic experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think this is what I liked about, like about authored, more authored games would have a linear path for you to go down is, um, you know, in a, in most JRPGs, to be real, I I feel like as much as I like these little, you know, extra puzzles, what I really want is to feel like I'm progressing through a story. And in open world games, I feel like I'm playing a checklist and not a narrative. Mm -hmm. I know that like game narratives are often like not that great anyway, but I, I'm very much like a beginning, middle, and end style story. Mm -hmm. And I don't like getting distracted in games. I know like a lot of people do like games because of their side quests and because of the ability to just go off and do whatever you want. But like in Horizon Zero Dawn, if you're telling me that there is some kind of 
urgent threat, then I'm going to want to address that threat. Mm-hmm. In in Zelda, it's just sort of like, well, Ganon's there, but you are definitely Whatever. not strong enough. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> don't don't worry about that until yeah, you got all also, the beasts. So know, don't worry about it. You know, the world hasn't ended in the last whatever was it been hundred years? Like, yeah. It, he can he can wait another He's month chill. or something. It's fine. Like, Don't worry about Zelda's it. Zelda's taking care of it. You know she's strong. She's she's powerful. She can handle it. But yeah, going back for a second, I think uh, I've also noticed this in games that kind of don't always mark things down on your map. Like I was playing Divinity, and sometimes there'll be like a secret area, and it's not on the map, and I have to put down like a marker, and then I have to like write it down what it means, and then again I have to like actually care to go back to the place, right? Yeah. Or this isn't an open world game, but it's kind of like the similar uh, concept. I played the Persona Q, which is kind of like an Etrian Odyssey type spin-off game for the mm-hmm. uh, 3DS. And as you go through the dungeons, you well, you don't have to, but you're gonna get lost if you don't do it. You have to like etch out the map, like it won't do it for you. And even though the, a lot of times the dungeons aren't like there's nothing special about them because they they're kind of just like randomly generated the fact that you have to do that kind of you familiarize yourself more with the space you care about it you kind of feel like a sense of ownership because Mm -hmm. you're like making it legible right like that's the way that it matters to you yeah see that sounds like a nightmare to me but i'm sure that (laughs) i'm sure that playing it it will actually make me a better player that Mm -hmm. way to actually get out and like have to make out a map of where i've been even if that I will probably get lost and really frustrated. See, maybe I appreciate it because I am horrible, horrible with directions. Like, I don't think I could live without Google Maps. So, uh, and I experience this in games too. Like, even when they're telling me where to go, like, I'll just, like, I'll still manage to get lost. I'm the reason that developers put those breadcrumbs <laughs> that are so visible and you're like, what the it's fuck? You. It's like literally across the street. Like, yeah. how? why do you need to tell me how to walk yeah. over there? So I'm that player. I'm responsible for this. But uh, I, when games like this make me actually draw the map, I feel like I I have to internalize it and I have to understand what it looks like around me. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like I get um, a better understanding of the world when I'm, I'm forced to actually learn it, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I don't know a lot about what the neighborhoods of New York actually are because, like, other than the ones that are immediately close to me, mm-hmm. um, because I have a phone and then I just type in what address I need to go to and then I go on those trains to get to that place. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to learn if I go north, I'm going to go to this neighborhood. If I go south, I'm going to go to this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I just learn if I get off the train at this stop, my phone tells me I have to walk a little bit and then I'll be there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, going back to the question. I do think we're going to see some pairing back uh, just just because it's it'll be more cost effective. But at the same time, I think it's also here to stay for a lot of AAA developers. Yeah. I do think um, there are certain kinds of games that are beginning to understand that authored an authored thing is much more interesting than an expansive and the sort of loose and open-ended thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it does generally come down to cost effectiveness it costs a lot of money and a lot of like time and a lot of personnel and a lot of labor to make an open world game just it's hard a hard thing although i i would be thrilled to see the ways in which uh indie developers tackle open world games because 
they'll they won't have the resources right so they'll have to make more conscious decisions about like the space and like how that fits into the game and like how it makes sense or doesn't make sense so hopefully we can see some more like middle tier and like indie developers try to tackle this and hopefully uh i don't know man maybe well then again yeah i was saying that maybe it's here to stay but at the same time the new hotness is Battle Royale, so... Oh, my God. But I guess that's also a, mi- a mixture of both of yeah, them, right? Because, no, like... The thing about Battle Royale is that it's interesting because the map is huge. Right. You know? You, there could be anything in any of these houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, I still think about the, the Paladin's Battle Royale thing all the time. <laughs> so the that song. trailer was so funny. Oh, God. They just... They have a very distinct sense of humor, I guess that's how I'll put it. Yeah. But I think their audience must be into it because otherwise I can't explain why they keep doing it. Like, yeah. they'll make uh, costumes for Smiteism, them, right? They're, I think so. Um, they'll make know. costumes for their games that are just, like, old memes. And yep. someone must be buying them. I don't, like, I, otherwise Didn't I can't explain. Like, like, a Neon Cat costume recently? Maybe that's something. I can't yeah. remember exactly what it was, but I remember but it was like an recently, old meme. But, like, recently, like... Like recently, and it was like a little embarrassing. But I guess some people are into that. You know, whatever people want to spend, want to buy in microtransactions, I guess. Heather Alexander, I have some words for you. So, Patricia, I, I've been meaning to talk about this in any way, shape, or form on the internet since I saw the last Star Wars movie. But, so, actually, this has shown up in the comments of some of my articles recently, which is my, why I wrote about, I've explained shipping on Kotaku.com, and some commenters had some words to say about the ship Raylo from the new Star Wars trilogy. Raylo being a, a portmanteau of Rey and Kylo. Uh, do you have any opinions about this ship, these two characters getting together. Well, I was going to ask you first, like, why... I feel like everything that I that I think about it is, like, filtered through the fact that it was controversial to some people, yeah. although I'm not 100% clear on why it was controversial. Is it because it's technically depicting a, a kind of, like, abusive relationship, or well, what is it? I mean, it's hard to explain, but... I mean, I think I have my own reasons. I don't really love the ship. I have my own reasons for it, even though like I see the attraction and I don't I think it might end up being the thing that happens. Oh, God, I'm I'm just really hoping that they don't give Ray a love interest, even yeah. though just let her date herself. Yeah, know? I just want her to be badass and like it's, just, o- it's OK if characters fall in love with her. But I, yeah. I just want her to do her. thing. I want her and, to like, be in love ass. with her. With her herself. laser sword and yeah. herself. Yeah. Um, With her uh, big uh, phallic uh, yeah. object. I just loved every time in The Force of uh, the, the Last Jedi where she screamed with, like, just all of her teeth out. Mm-hmm. That was just awesome. Like, every time she just, like, looked big so vicious. Yeah, that's me all of the time. <laughs> me, IRL, Ray's screaming while stabbing things with the sword. Um, but, yeah, you know, the part of it is, yes, definitely, like, when they first meet, Ray has been kidnapped, and like there is some weird sexual tension. But he, well, is yeah, because he's like trying to get into her mind. Yeah, right. When they first, so meet. he's like trying to violate her physically in this way. And mm-hmm. but I know that this is 
these are some romance tropes, right? This right. is straight out of a romance novel. So the idea that sexual tension would arise there, like narratively, makes sense to me. And then the next, the next movie, um, if you haven't seen The Last Jedi, well, you had a very long time to do so, and I'm sorry, but we're <laughs> going to talk a little bit about it right now. Um, the next one, a lot of the plot of The Last Jedi has to do with Rey and Kylo trying to make a connection with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rey is a very empathetic person, and she doesn't b- really believe. She she misses Han Solo straight up. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, only he was connection, like his dad figure. Yeah, the only connection Rey has to Han anymore is... Ben, even though Ben just straight up mother murked his dad. Yeah. Jesus. Which is my that is my father's big objection to to Raylo is that Kylo Ren killed his yeah, dad. I don't see how you ever get past that. Like, yeah, don't like listen. Just imagine please do not fuck someone that's killed their dad. I hope yeah, just that's imagine not like you- laying in bed and <laughs> just like talking about your childhood and then getting to them uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, like- well then I killed him, so <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Well, he always got mad at me for leaving my shoes in the middle of the floor, but you know, later <laughs> on I would kill him. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it is something that has uh you know, there is I think some kind of love there or an uh, idea these are two, two people that want to be loved very badly, two people who are mm-hmm. feel like they were both abandoned and feel like they're both worthless and so, they both found worth in different places. When I watched it I I couldn't decide what the movie was going for. I couldn't decide if it was just that they have some sort of like platonic bond that's like deep on some yeah. level, but or if it was like meant to be sexual because I just think about that scene when he's like wiping his hand and it's just like wet, right? And yeah. like just the there was like that scene when they're trying to like touch each other's cheeks. Like it just yeah. seems intimate in a way that you don't expect from most friendships i guess yeah i mean i feel like it was sort of romantically intimate i feel like it's really clear that kylo especially is incredibly naive and maybe hasn't really had sexual contact with anyone before Mm. or you know he just like hasn't really had anyone that's loved him like without any reservations before which is why i think he reacts the way he does where he feels like he's going to has to own her in some way yeah because he's like you're he doesn't quite say you're nothing without me, but he's like, you're nobody. You're yeah, you're nobody, but not to me. to me, Yeah, which is a horrible thing to say to someone and is not romantic. And if anyone says that to you, they are manipulating you. That is a thing. I mean, I it think is that... a thing that happens in abuse, right? Yeah. Like just people tr- treating other people like shit, but then kind of turning it around and being like, you're very important to me. I can't yeah. live without Everything, you. Everyone else thinks you're stupid, but I don't think you're stupid. Which mm-hmm. makes you feel so devalued that you feel like I have to be with the only person that values me. Ray has higher self-esteem than uh, past me. So uh, she doesn't really fall for it. But it's also just like, I, un- these are just two people. I mean, I understand the ship and I see why people are attracted to it. And I've read some Raylo well, fics it's... that have been like really interesting and good, but... I feel like in order for the ship, for, in order for me to like the ship, you have to acknowledge that it is a fucked morally up ship. Wrong. It's a, not so, morally wrong. It's just like a fucked up situation. So um, I agree that there is a, there are a lot of romance tropes at play here, but I also think it mirrors uh, the way a lot of like heterosexual relationships work because it's so common for like for a woman to like fall for a dude 
because she thinks she can fix him. And I feel like that's yeah. part of the appeal with Ray because he's like, he's still, there's still some good in him. Yep. He still hasn't fully turned. So she yep. kind of sees herself as someone who might be able to bring out the light in him. And it's the same thing with a lot of like real life relationships where someone's like, yeah, he might live with his mom or he might not have a job or he like might be a slob, but you know, the power of love will yeah. make the, like, I'll, we'll whip him up into shape. Or yeah. even just, like, the trope of the uh, the soccer mom that's, like, super domineering and, like, t- tells her husband everything everything that he has to do. And it's yeah. kind of that same thing of, Being like... Being a nag. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that shows up a lot in fiction because it is something that happens a lot in life. You know, there's... A thing you know we say about sort of the the who carries the like emotional burdens and not just play romantic relationships but play platonic relationships. It usually ends up being women who end up doing a lot of sort of emotional labor for men for doing these. Uh, you know, just like the amount of times that I've had to sit down my male friends and partners and be like, the thing that you are describing to me, the emotions you are describing to me, sound a lot like symptoms of depression, and you need to go and find a doctor and tell them that instead mm-hmm. of continuing to tell me this because mm-hmm. I cannot be your therapist. It happens a lot. I, I was thinking about this article the other day. It was uh, about, um, God, I think it might have been on Splinter even. Uh, it was uh, a woman who was describing just sort of like this minor instance of having to perform emotional labor for her husband and just understanding how deeply he will never understand like what it is like to to be a woman on the day to day where she uh asked him to get something down from the shelf in the closet and he did so but then he just left the box in the middle of the floor and instead of asking him to put it also to put it away what she did was say nothing hoping that this man would understand like she was just tired she just mm-hmm. didn't want to have to remind him now put it back you know like he's a kid and she said, this man is so empathetic. I'm so happy to be married to him. I love him. He is not a jerk. He's not abusive at all. But just like he did not, he thought to do a nice thing for me and then did not think about what to do after the nice thing was over. Hmm. And he's, he will never really think about that. He will never think about the tiny little things that I do behind his back every single day, like put the box away mm-hmm. or put his shoes where they should be. And it's frustrating. It's like this thing that I like, it's just something that you end up doing. Like I, I'm a lazy, messy person, but I also see myself in relationships being this person that is like, don't remember to put your dishes in the sink. And, you know, remember before we leave, you got to throw that away or man, it's kind of dirty in here. Why don't we both clean up? Yeah. I mean, I feel that same way. I I feel like I tend to be a messy person on my own, but being in a relationship with someone does mean like kind of being aware of how mm-hmm. you conduct yourself and caring yeah. enough to not be a total asshole, right? Yeah. Like, so I feel like I've become a cleaner and just like more of, I've become more of my mom now that I'm in a mm. relationship, even though I know that if I wasn't, I would just be a total like slob because, yeah. you know, sing, single life, whatever they make yeah. jokes about. Only that you shit. have to see your mess when you're single. Yeah. That's all just you. <laughs> right. And if you if you actually go through the I mean, I'm sure there are couples out there who are just like both messy and just yeah, they're they, fine. that's why they work. But yeah. I feel like caring for me always is like at least I'm sure that there are ways in which I don't think about 
uh, my partner, but yeah. just trying to at least. So yeah, no. But, I mean, uh, when it comes to, to Kylo Ren, like what you see is like Ray's trying to lift him up, like really is like you're you're strong and you're worth it and etc. And at the end of the movie, he's like, uh, he, basically his plan is to emotionally break her so that she will go to the dark side and then they can rule the universe together, mm-hmm. which. From a certain standpoint, honestly, is kind of sexy to be like, let's both be evil I'll... queen and evil king and okay. queen together. I'm okay. into that. So when I first finished the movie, I honestly kind of wanted Ray to go with him and not because I wanted them to be together, but because I agreed with the sentiment that Kylo Ren was like, let's leave old stuff behind. Not it's with like the, a not really with the, like a je- rebel without a cause kind of thing, right? Like it's um, I mean, you I know, the Jedi are stupid. The Sith is stupid. Like let's kill, you know, you know, let go of, forget the past, kill it if you have to is something that okay, I so, deeply so, relate so, wait, to. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So I agree with the first part of that. Yeah. I agree with the like live, let's leave these stupid institutions behind because they, I mean, I feel like if you think about it for any amount of time, it doesn't make sense because they keep saying about how there has to be balance. So if something, if someone is like super powerful with uh, the force, then someone is going to be super powerful on the Sith side. So it just feels like useless because they're always going to kind of be fighting each other to balance things out. So I don't understand why you would engage in this kind of like fruit, like fruitless endeavor, unless I guess if you're on the light side, then you're, Maybe you're kind of like a monk about it that it just that's just how it is. Yeah. So I agree with that part. I don't agree with the kill it if you have to. I don't think anyone has to die, but I I can understand why you wouldn't want to participate in those systems or if you were interested in just making something else. You know, like yeah. especially now that I I think the the idea with the Force Awakens is that some more people are are now going to be Force sensitive, right? Like at the end, yeah. you have the kid that moves the broom without touching it. Yeah. So why not just, I don't know, explore those powers without necessarily needing to be a part of the Sith or the Jedi? I mean, so I was mad that that Rey didn't didn't try to negotiate with him like, okay, yeah, I'll go with you. But maybe let's not keep let's not keep killing our parents. Let's (laughs) not like, you know, we don't need to kill any more parents. We can we can just live without the Jedi or the Sith. I mean, the whole message of the movie is that the Jedi and the Sith are bad. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's a bad series of institutions. They're both as bad as each other. It is one of the few, the truth is somewhere in the middle, messages that I've enjoyed because it is... Wow, I, didn't, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, yeah, it's like a very Bioshock Infinite kind of sentiment. Except but, good. But, except good, because it's revealing, like, you know, it isn't both sides are bad. It's like... Each side has some valid points, but they are so locked down in the sort of centuries of institutionalized. Yeah, it's a critique of a system, right? It's not just like, you know, you're smart if you're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Because Kylo Ren, I guess, is kind of in the middle and he's definitely not right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more sort of showing, even without, you know, and... Ray, in her own way, kind of rejects the Jedi by the end. She's so disillusioned by Luke and everything that Luke is. And, you know, Kylo definitely rejects the Sith Order. He, he kills Emperor Snoke. But they both find different points in the middle to be. Ray still believes in goodness. She mm-hmm. still believes that you were supposed, there's a right thing that you're supposed to do. And Kylo just believes that he would rule the universe better. Mm-hmm. 
I don't even know why you would want that responsibility. That no, sounds it seems super like a drag. annoying. It sounds so irritating. Like, <laughs> why would you want to do that? People are gonna want to kill you. Yeah. They're just like the you have galaxy to is too big. To a bunch like, of bureaucratic shit yeah. all the time. Like, you know, it just seems like a big hassle. I can barely keep in track of my utility bills. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a pain in the ass. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is something I think sexy about being asked to someone asking you to run away with them. But, like, Kylo Ren is doing it because he wants her to be sad and therefore emotionally pliable. Yeah. So I was thinking about this. If they do get together, that I can totally see him just kind of putting this emotional burden on her because he can't process the fact yeah. that he killed his parents. Like, you see him having that internal conflict. Yeah. Um. So I can just, I can totally see him just laying all of that on her and then her just being like, dude, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like. She has, like, absolutely no ability to process trauma. She processes trauma by pretending she's somewhere else or running away. So, like, mm. I don't know what he's expecting. I um, mean, she has her own trauma to deal yeah, with. Yeah, she has a lot. She's got a lot to and, deal like, with. And, like, his way of trying to help her through it is just, like, forget about it, like, yeah. which is not really a solution. It's really not helpful. Yeah. Yeah, he's, like, a lot of bad choice boyfriends that you might have when you're in your early 20s. Like, you know, he's long hair, kind of greasy, kind of dark. You know, if I bet I bet Kylo Ren does space drugs, you know, like a lot of space <laughs> drugs. And he's got like all of these, you know, really strong convictions and it's like hot. But like you don't date that guy. Mm-hmm. You don't date that guy. The one funny thing, though, from the, the movie that I, I still really liked, which is definitely like a sort of shipper moment, is when they, they mind link and Ray's like, put on a shirt. And he's like, no. <laughs> my favorite thing one of my favorite things in that movie where he's just like fuck off (laughs) mom get out of my room (laughs) that was a good movie i liked it better than the force awakens i have to say i liked it better on the on the second time around because i feel like the first time around i was thinking too much about like what the movie like symbolized and blah 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 but like once you went in with your critic brain yeah, yeah and then once i went back in and it's kind of like the article that Kirk wrote about how the first movie is better after you watch the second movie. And I feel like once you know who the actual Last Jedi is, once you know kind of where people are coming from, yeah. you can kind of focus on the details. Yeah. And also just there's just so much craft in all the like props and shit that's when I know the plot, when I'm not just like trying to figure out what happens next and I can just like focus on the costumes or whatever yeah. that only appear for like a second. Like there's so much happening in the casino, but there's only like 30 seconds of footage of them in the casino. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so. yeah. 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 I, um, I really liked it. I liked a lot of the little touches. I really liked the, the final fight between uh, Kylo and Luke because it's just straight out of a, you know, a Kira Kurosawa samurai movie. Mm. It's so well shot. And so, impactful and pretty and they are they do take up those two samurai archetypes of one is like calm and collected and the other is brash and yelly mm-hmm. um i really loved that oh my god i want to see an anime edit of it yes please someone out there please for us <laughs> um but yeah in the fandom Raylo is controversial because as you say they they interpret that as that messiness of the that human interaction as being abusive and i don't mm-hmm. think that's necessarily wrong I also don't think it's necessarily right. Mm-hmm. I think that when you're young and trying to figure out how to love people, you will do it in the wrong way. But I also really don't want them to get together 
because I think that they both need to work out their issues separately from each other. Mm-hmm. Like Ray, they're, especially, they're not in a place where they can be in a relationship with probably much of anyone. Yeah, I mean, it's like Buffy in like all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's never really in a place where she should be dating, but she's always dating, and she never gets over any of her problems because of that. Oh my god, are you watching? Uh, are you caught up with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Yes, right now? I just caught up earlier this week. This is making me think about yes. that. I guess I won't spoil it. Yeah, uh, if uh, you've seen it, it's the very last moment of the most recent episode. Like that was. She's pretty much grappling with the same thing. Yeah, like, whether or not she should be in a relationship when she's going through mental health stuff. Yeah, uh, it's a very well written show, and you should watch it if you haven't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would like to see a like a big mass media pop culture movie address that kind of messy complicated human thing like maybe it turns out that they do love each other but they decide and they both end up on the same side like maybe that's in the next movie maybe it's in the I family i kind of hope they don't but i, I hope they don't either because they choose different from each other but what if they do like even if they do love each other and, and are on the same side i hope they decide to not be together because mm-hmm. they shouldn't they just you know, shouldn't. i just i feel strange about most of the pairings in in uh the, i was gonna say the show the movie mm-hmm. Like they did the whole thing with the uh, Finn and Rose, and yeah. I felt like that was kind of forced. Like there was just like no. Yeah. I mean, it's especially I think forced because Poe is in- deeply in love with Finn, <laughs> <laughs> and like I feel like that's reciprocated. Oh man, God! When well, they didn't really even interact, and they they did towards the start, but like then yeah. they were separated. So I just I- love. I feel like that was their way of avoiding whether or not they were together. Just like as soon as. Poe sees Finn for the first time. He goes over and embraces him deeply, and he says all this shit about how he must be so wondering about what happened. And it's just like so, like a guy who has a crush. It's so cute. Mm-hmm. I love it. And then he says immediately, "Where's Ray?" Which yeah. is must have so been I think a he's he's in love with Ray. Definitely. So I think he is in love with. What Ray. if it's like a a not reciprocated thing where Poe is in love with Finn, but Finn is not is not. That would break my tiny little heart. <laughs> I would be so sad. I mean, I just like, I I don't love love triangles as a plot point, like mm-hmm. a, a plot thing. Yeah, I, I mean, like I would be thrilled bad. if they just stopped it. They yeah. And if no one was paired up and they could yeah, just. I would absolutely love absolutely no romance. I love romance. I love love stories. I actually yeah, really I do. do. Too. But I really don't want that in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like the closest thing uh, that the last movies came to a love story was Han Solo and Leia. And that's more of just like a sniping thing, like a, mm-hmm. a weird aggressive well, flirtation I mean, where they end up like hate fucking basically. Yeah, I mean, the, there was romance in the the movies that came afterward, right? Yeah. The, that was the entire. But like that ended up really poorly. So hopefully they just don't go there anymore. Yeah, I just, uh, there's more important things in the universe than who is Ray going to fuck. Like, this is a lot of things that bother me about a lot of young adult novels and their mm-hmm. adaptations into movies. Like, in The Hunger Games, like, over half of the plot is concerned with who Katniss is going to fuck. And it's and, like, so funny because she doesn't give a, she she doesn't doesn't give a like, shit at all. Like, she, I feel like throughout the, at least in the, I've only watched the movies, but it feels like she's just, like, so done with uh it, it almost feels like a commentary on the fact that audiences expect yeah. people to pair off right because they have to play it up for the camera if i if i'm remembering yeah. correctly they have yeah. to pretend to be together but she's obviously like she has feelings for both of her suitors on some level but there's so but much also, shit happening in the world yeah, like, like why would you care about that at all <laughs> 
I mean, she does care, but it, on yeah. on her list of priorities, it's very very low, right? Yeah, like yeah. surviving and getting through this shit is yeah. like way higher. My favorite in the books, my favorite part in one of the early, the first book is uh, Peta is is like dying and she's taking care of him, and so she knows she has to play up their love story for the camera so that viewers will send them send them gifts so that she can he can live. So she decides to to kiss him. And he kisses back, and it's like a really good kiss. And she thinks, "Wow, he's a great actor." Yes, and this is this also happens in the movie where that. he's like, "That wasn't real. Like, what were we just playing up for the camera?" And then, yeah. So Jennifer Lawrence is really good at making kind of this stoic face where it's clear, you know, this person has been like she has PTSD. Like, yeah. But yeah, it's a it's definitely one of yeah. those uh, moments when. Guys just kind of totally misinterpret what's what's going on. You know, there's a lot of things that are more important than having sex. A lot of stuff. My favorite, my favorite depiction of like young adult sexuality in one of those books, though, is from this uh, book series that only a couple of them are made into a movie. God, what is the name of the series? Anyway, it doesn't really matter because they're like fine. They're like not. They're like fine. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, in the second book, it's like a post-apocalyptic thing. Blah blah blah, and you know, the two. Main character, there's no love triangle, so that won me over right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so this guy, the girl and her boyfriend have run away to a different part of society, and she like spends the whole book seethingly horny because she is so afraid, like That's so hilarious. fucked up and afraid. But she also knows she's not ready to have sex, so she keeps almost having sex, and they keep having this conversation. It's like this is trauma. Like you are horny because you are traumatized, and you are like seeking connections. But, like, I will not have sex with you until you actually want to have sex. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, really interesting and, like, a a very, like, accurate depiction of what would happen to, like, a young person in that situation. Yeah, so it's, like, this, uh, it's a play on the same trope, right? Yeah. Because, like, you have this with vampire stuff, for example. Like, yeah. they won't have sex because what if his hunger over takes her or yeah. whatever it is yeah but, but this that's is like, way more interesting like though. an actual like this Reason. is a real problem that real teenagers have of mm-hmm. like wanting to have sex but knowing that they can't handle it emotionally yet mm-hmm. and like coming close a lot of times but still not not being able to actually pull the trigger like do it um and it takes place in like a very extreme situation, and like part of the reason why she's she's like like it's dripping off of her body how badly she wants to have sex. It's like <laughs> okay. very much like it's a very horny book, mm-hmm. um, and but it's she also you know it's combined with you know her like acknowledging both me and my partner have been so been through so much that this feeling is not coming from me actually. Yeah, and like even that. So many stories happen in like fantastical settings, right? And like, there's been science on the idea that if you have, if you have like an exciting experience with someone, or if you feel like you're in danger, then you're more likely to like have like romantic feelings, or at least yeah. feel horny. But it's not necessarily that's not how you would necessarily feel about someone in a normal context. So yeah, that's interesting and, yeah. and realistic. Yeah, I mean, they're like. The actual plot of those books are like it's like super stupid. They end up making like a whole bunch of different serums, and there's like a truth. It's weird. Jeez. It's bad. <laughs> but like that that one thing, I was like a I was on a bus a lot, and I just needed a bunch of books to read. And like that one thing it was just sort of like, oh, I'm glad that teenagers are reading this because this is like a a, a guide through a complicated situation that teenagers especially are always having to navigate. Um. And I guess that is the kind of thing that I want to see more of in depictions of romance, especially for young people, 
you know like i feel like the thing that the star wars fandom is objecting to when they object to raylo actually is um that it's it's not nuanced enough Hmm. like i think saying it's abusive is a shorthand for saying if this happened to my friend, I wouldn't want them to actually date this person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think describing that as abusive is not saying the thing that they actually want to say, which is it might be okay to write this romance in this way, but you can't portray it as romantic all the mm. way through. There is aspects of it that's romantic in sort of like a literary sense, but it's not like a healthy series of human behaviors that are happening here. Uh, And yeah, it takes place in space and they've both got laser swords. So maybe, you know, (laughs) don't think about it too hard, but yeah, you know, I respect and understand young people who see that and like take a step back and they're like, you know, this doesn't seem like something I would want any of my friends to go through. I wouldn't want them to date anyone like that. Um, and I think there is room to depict those kinds of relationships in fiction, but you have to do it while also like having the the conversation in the fiction of Kylo Ren's a fucked up guy. Mm-hmm. Don't date people that kill their dads. So if you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you can find us. And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Um... If you leave us a review, that would be really helpful. It just really helps for visibility, you know, at five stars, thumbs up, whatever. That's great. Um, so I want to thank a couple of people, executive director of audio, Madina Mofidi, uh, Levi Sharp, who is usually in the booth, but it today had to leave and just set it up for us, which is very nice of him, um, as well as Stuart Wood, who made the music that plays during our commercial breaks, and Mello Makes, who writes our theme song. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you should email us at favethis at kotaki.com or send either of us a tweet with the hashtag favethis. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.